What's up, church? How are we doing today? Good, man. Hey, give it up for our worship team. That was awesome. I think that was great. Hey, we are uh, going through a series called A Tunnel of Chaos, um, where we have just kind of said, hey, you know, you're either going to be going into chaos, you're going through chaos, or you're coming out of chaos. How do we deal with the chaos? And so for whatever reason, they asked me to come here for these two weeks, and so I thought I'd share with you the chaos um, that's been going on in the book of Habakkuk. And so last week we talked about um, the, even though in the midst of chaos that we can find joy, that we can find hope, not in our circumstances, but in the salvation that Jesus Christ has given us. And so today I wanted to talk about is, hey, what do we do when the chaos isn't going away? What do we do when the chaos doesn't seem to be leaving anytime soon? What, is, what do we do when things start to get worse and not get better? So if you are, have your Bibles, we're in Habakkuk chapter 3. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, we're going to throw up the scripture on the screen or it's also in your bulletin. So we're in chapter 3, uh, verse 1. So I'm just going to pray, uh, just read through this and then we will pray and, and get into what God has for us today. So we're in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to, I have no idea how to, to say that word, okay? Shigianoth, okay? There we go, verse 2. Okay, <laughs> sorry God. All right. Oh, <laughs> oh Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O oh Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kishon in affliction. The curtains of land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers? O Lord, was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hand on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own Arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trample the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, God, for the privilege it is to gather together, God, as a church family, to worship you, God, um, and to have a time, Lord, to hear your word being spoken to us, God. And God, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, God, would come here, would fill this place. God, that you would speak through me, God, that the words that would come out of my mouth would not be mine, God, but that would be yours. That would challenge us and convict us and shape us, Lord, to be more and more like your precious son, Jesus Christ. And so, God, we give you this time. May it be for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when I was 22 years old, uh, I moved uh, from North Texas. I graduated college from University of North Texas, and I was moving to Los Angeles, California, and I was super excited, right? Because I was thinking like, man, I cannot wait to get out of Texas, experience the sunshine, the palm trees, the ocean, the beach, California girls, right? Bible school, you know, I was just super excited. I watched the show, The O.C. Does anyone remember that horrible show? The O.C., I was like, California, right here I come, you know. I was excited. And so I remember getting to my apartment that I was going to stay. I was staying at Grad Housing, and boy, did things change just like that, okay? I remember walking into this apartment, and it was a dump. Okay, capital D-U-M-P, dump. All right, the carpets were nasty. There was this nasty couch that who knows how old it was or what was inside of it, what roaches were in there. It was these white walls, but like all the white walls were really dirty with like handprints all over them. You go to the toilet and you're like, oh my gosh, everything's like nasty, crusty in here, right? And I remember walking out, I'm like, mom, dad, like, Brace yourselves. This is not a good experience. Like, this is, this is bad, right? And my, I remember my mom saying this. My mom's a nurse, and she's seen some things in her life. And she said, David, this is like the worst apartment I had ever seen, right? Welcome to California, right, you know? And to make matters worse was there was like a train track like 30 yards from my apartment that would go by every 15 minutes. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? So the reason why this place was a dump was because I had the slob of slobs as a roommate, okay? I mean, slobs of slobs. This guy would sit in his couch and he would just eat food and then put the trash right next to it and would just pile up. I remember he would use one of my plates, which I, wasn't a big deal, right? Use one of my plates, and he stacked it on top of the trash. And then a week later, I just see more trash on top of the plate, right? I would go to the kitchen and see like raw chicken left out on the kitchen counter for days. I would go to the bathroom and just see leftovers, right? Wonderful leftovers. He was a big guy, so he would like sweat a lot, right? And so, but, which is no, no big deal, right? But the problem was he just wouldn't do laundry. And so he would just pile his nasty, stanky clothes on top of each other. And that stank would just infiltrate the whole apartment. Guys, I did summer camp with junior high, right? I stayed in a junior high cabin, which smells like stank and axe. And it's worse than that, Okay. And we would literally have to close the door just to, like, breathe, you know? I mean, it was bad. And, th and it just felt, that was my tunnel of chaos that year, okay? And it just felt like it was never, ever ending. 
And I would, you know, I wasn't necessarily bold or assertive. I wouldn't be like, listen, bro, we need to clean now. But I would try to drop hints and nothing was changing. And I just found myself kind of, kind of, kind of going back to a couple different responses. I found myself just trying to run away from that apartment, right? Not wanting to go in there. I found myself sometimes just saying, what's the point? I'm just going to give in. I'm going to add to this stack of trash that's on the couch. You know, he won't know, right? Um, and then other times I just found myself just getting bitter, right? I mean, he would just walk in and he's a great guy. He just had, you know, he just couldn't, didn't clean, but I just, he'd walk in and I'd just look at him and I just, gosh, I just hate your shirt, you know? I just hope you stub your toe, you know? Like I just get bitter at this guy. And guys, when, the, when chaos is here, when chaos is present, aren't we like that? You know, when it's not going away, it's not like we, what's so frustrating is, is we know what the solution is, but it never happens. And so we just get bitter. We want to flee. We want to run away, right? And so what do we do when we just feel like the chaos isn't getting better, but it's getting worse? What do we do when we just feel like it's, the chaos is never, ever ending? What do we do? Number one, this is what we do. This is what we see in Habakkuk. Number one is this, is we ask God for renewal. We ask God for renewal. We ask God for restoration. We ask God for resurrection. We ask God for revival. You know, that might seem very cliche or easy, but this is what I find with us, is that a lot of times we will complain about God but we won't complain to God, right? We'll get with our friends and be like, man, I, I don't know if God cares. I don't know if God is doing anything. But we don't ever just get on our knees and ask God, God, these are my complaints. God, can you fix this? You see, in Habakkuk, what we see is Habakkuk is in his tunnel of chaos. He's surrounded by chaos. He's living in a country that used to love God, that used to worship God, and has now gone into the pit of immorality. And he finds himself where the wicked are prospering, where the poor are being oppressed, where God's name is being cursed. And so he asks God, he says, God, where are you at? God, why aren't you doing anything? God, will you do justice? Will you take away this problem? Will you restore this country? And you know what God says? He says, yo, Habakkuk, I am good. I hear your prayers. I hear your frustrations. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up a country, the Babylonians, to deal with your country. They're going to take you guys over, right? We talked about that last week. What God was basically saying to back is like, hey, you don't like America? Well, I'm going to bring up ISIS, ISIS to take over you guys to deal with your immorality, which is crazy, right? And so Habakkuk obviously has problems with this, and he's like, God, I, I thought you're good. I thought you're just. And God responds. He says, Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith, meaning you just got to trust me, Habakkuk. And so now what we see is Habakkuk's heart is starting to turn. And so he says this in verse two. Look at verse two. He says, O Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. Circle that word revive. That word revive. It means restoration. It means when our hearts are restored to God. 
It means when we turn from our rebellious ways and we surrender our life to Him. It's when our, our heart has, is, has an affection for God. It's when our relationships are restored, when our marriages are restored, when our family is restored, when our communities are restored, when our world's restored. It's how everything is how it should be. That's revival. Revival is when you fall on your knees and your heart is broken because you see your sin for what it really is. You see yourself for who you really are. You see your shame and you see your guilt. You see your mistakes. You see your rebellion. You see your ugliness and yet you see God reach out his hand and invite you into his family. It's when you understand that you are more sinful than what you want to believe, but you are more loved than you could possibly imagine. It's when you understand that God does not treat you how you deserve. It's not about what you have done. It's not about what you haven't done, but it's about what's been done for you. That while you are in the pit of despair, that while you're in the pit of your shame, God reaches out his hand to you and says, come with me, join my family, experience my love, experience my mercy. Because the grace of Jesus Christ, because the blood of Jesus Christ has been poured out over you. God does not look at you as the mistakes, as the sin that you are. He looks at you as Jesus Christ himself. And when that truth hits home in your heart, when it moves from your head to your heart, that's revival. And then when you come to church, man, you're not looking at the time. You're just enjoying worshiping him because you are grateful from what God has pulled you out from. And you just want, you don't care about when church ends. And then what happens is then your relationships start to restore. Your wife or your husband that you get so easily bitter at or angry with or you're short with, God gives you a grace of forgiveness and kindness and mercy because Jesus Christ has been kind and merciful to you. And then you start to realize the place that you're in, that the city of Plano or Frisco, that Collin County, that this is not a place for you to consume not a place for you to use, but God has called you and planted you here and he calls you to seek the peace and prosperity of the city because there are people here who are in chains, who are in slavery, who need to know the grace of Jesus Christ. And so you're here not to consume, but you're here to serve. And your community changes and your city changes and then you have a heart for the nations because you realize that the United States is not just our eternal home, that people need to know the Lord and so you faithfully go. But it starts with understanding that God has pulled your life from the pit. That's revival. Church, do you believe that? Do you believe that God can revive you? That God can renew you? that God can resurrect you, that God can restore you? Or have you just grown bitter? Have you just grown cold? There's a story um, of a famous evangelist named Rodney Gypsy Smith in the 1800s. And he would go around from town to town doing these big tent revivals. And what they found at these revivals that people were getting healed 
People were getting restored. People were giving their life to Jesus Christ. And so these ministers come to him and they say, yo, bro, like, man, we want this, man. We want to experience this revival, right? We want the healing. We want the miracles. We want to see God move. And you want to know what he told them? This is what he told the ministers. This is what Gypsy Smith told the ministers. He said, go home. Lock yourself in your room. Kneel down in the middle of the floor and with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself. And there on your knees, pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival within that chalk circle. Do you guys get that? What he's saying is, do you want change? <clears throat> you want revival? Go home by yourself, lock yourself in a room, draw a circle around you and you say, God, change me. Change me first. Wake me up from this slumber. Wake me up from my apathy. Give me a courage to follow you. Give me a, a passion. Give me a, my, stir my hearts to, to desire you. Because so many times, guys, when we're going through the tunnel of chaos, we want everything to change but us. And what we find in Habakkuk is this, is that Habakkuk is crying out for God's revival. But you know who, where God starts? He starts with Habakkuk. Because we see God, Habakkuk at the beginning kind of being bitter, but by the end he is rejoicing, not in his circumstances, but the salvation that God has given him. God can restore you. I've been, um, this last semester I've joined a men's group. And because uh, I need a lot of help, man. I mean, I grew up in a pretty abusive home, right? So um, just have a lot of issues to like work through, you know? So it's been good, you know, it's been really good. I've been going to this men's group and every, every week we just hear these testimonies. And guys, I've been a Christian for what? I'm 30, for 24 years. I became a Christian when I was six years old. I'm not gonna lie to you. A lot of times I have a hard time believing um, that this stuff that we talk about really works, right? I think we're all there at some point. So like, God, are you there? Does this stuff really work? But what I've loved about this men's group is that every week we just hear a testimony of how God has just changed someone's life, about guys being freed from pornography, about guys being freed from drugs, about guys being freed from um, um, just their families falling apart and God restoring marriages. There's a story this guy shared. He was hooked on, he was an alcoholic and um, he was on a cruise ship with his wife and for the first time he hit his wife and he couldn't believe himself and he was about to jump off the boat and his wife just grabbed him he said, stop. And he said, at that moment, I realized I needed help. He said, God, he restored my life. He freed me from my alcohol. He restored my marriage. We had another story of a woman come in and she said she suffered from anxiety so bad that she would just pick her face. She was like out of anxiety, she would pick her face. And she'd had all these scars just from picking. So she went to a dermatologist and she said, hey, what can I do? And the dermatologist mocked her and yelled in the hallway, said, we have a picker. And she felt shame and guilt, but it was through that shame and guilt that she gave her life to Christ and let God have control. And she stood up in front of our group and she said, now I love my scars because my scars remind me of who I was and what God has done in my life. Church, we have a God of revival. We have a God of renewal. We have a God who can save your marriage. We have a God who can save your kids. We can have a God who can bring light 
into your workplaces. We have a God who can restore this county, restore this city. That's what we're in the business in here. And so when we're in the tunnel of chaos, you ask God, say, God, bring revival, renew this place, renew me. And so that's number one. We have to see that God, we have to ask God for renewal. Number two is, is we got to remember. We got to remember because we're, it's easy to forget, church. You know, us, uh, uh, we, we suffer from spiritual amnesia. We are very much a, a fat, we have a fast food faith, a very much of American faith. We're very much of God, what have you done for me lately, right? I mean, that's like, God, I, you know what? Yeah, gosh, I know you like saved my marriage, but uh, gosh, I don't know if I'm going to get this next check. You know, we're like, God, what have you done for me lately? And so we have to remember what God has done. And what we see with Habakkuk is that he is remembering. This whole passage that I read to you is simply him remembering what God has done with his people, with the Israelites. He's recalling how God saved the Israelites from the hands of Pharaoh. And so what we see is Habakkuk is just kind of going through that story and remembering God. So first he remembers God's beauty. He remembers God's beauty. Um, look at verse, uh, I think, two or three. Look at verse, uh, verse three. He says, God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and his earth was full of his praise. Could you just underline splendor covered the heavens? See, Habakkuk, what he's doing first off is he's remembering God's beauty. Now, why is that important when we're going through the chaos? To remember God's beauty. You know, I was working on this sermon a couple weeks ago. I was out in California seeing one of my old students graduate college. It was an awesome time. And I was working, on, so I decided, it's like, you know what, I want to work on this by the ocean. And so I just got a, a picnic table at San Pedro, and I was just, and I just stared at the ocean, guys, and I couldn't help but just get lost in it. I mean, have you, have you done that, right? Maybe it's the ocean, maybe it's the mountains, maybe it's the stars, and it's like you just look at it. And like all your worries just seem to go away. It's just that beauty is captivating. Like what is that? It's not that the ocean or the mountains or the waterfalls or the stars or the plains are divine, but you want to know what it is? An author said it this way. He says, those, those experiences are like drops from the divine ocean. They're like arrows pointing to the true source of beauty. When you surround yourself with beauty, gosh, the major becomes major and the minor becomes minor, doesn't it? And what Habakkuk is saying is, man, even though I'm in chaos, I'm just going to focus on the beauty of the Lord. I'm going to let that become prevalent in my life. And so church, I just want to encourage you. If you're in the midst of the chaos, what if, what if you just took a, a half day, an hour, an evening, shoot, if you have time for it, take a day, get out of Plano, man. Go to a place that is beautiful, and just let God work. And what you will find is that the issues that are bogging you, man, they're just going to become trivial, and you will be captivated by the beauty of the Lord. And so we see Habakkuk start there. He starts to remember God's beauty. Secondly, what we see is he, start, he remembers God's power. Uh, look at verse, look at verse uh, 6. He says this, He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. 
Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. Um, I love this verse because it shows the strength and the power of God, that he measures the earth. Right? It's, it's, it's like this earth is just like this ball in his hands. He just takes a tape measure. Like I think I saw like the, the diameter of the earth is almost like 4,000. Um, let's see. I think I have it here. The diameter of the earth or the radius of the earth is 3,959 miles. The diameter of the earth is 7,900 uh, 7, miles. That, that seems pretty big to me. Okay? And then God just takes a tape measure and he's like, I can measure it. We have a powerful God. And a lot of times when we're going through the chaos, we forget who our God is. We forget how strong He is. We forget that just with snapping His fingers, mountains can be crushed. Snapping His fingers, waters can be parted. We have a God who's renew, who's, uh, who revives, and we have a God who is strong, who can do the impossible. Thirdly, we got to remember God's justice. God's justice. Look at verse um, 12. I love what he says here. He says, You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for, uh, for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. I love that image. Church, when we're in the chaos, um, a lot of times what we're experiencing is sometimes it just feels unjust. It feels like we've been dealt a hand that we do not deserve. It's, a lot of times we see the people who are flat out disobeying God, prospering. And we say, God, where are you at, right? Where are you at, God? But church, what we need to remember is this, is that we have a God of justice. We have a God who will not let the bad guys win. That's it. And I know this election year, right? Like every election year, we're always like, oh man, our country is going to hell in a handbasket again, right? I mean, it always feels like things are getting worse. It always feels like our government's becoming more corrupt. And there's more injustices all around us. And we just feel like, what is happening? But we need to remember that we have a God of justice. He will not let the bad guys win. And then lastly, we need to remember God's heart. Look at verse 13. He says, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. Circle, you went out. I love that verse. Because in the chaos, in the midst of the chaos, when it seems like things are going wrong, it seems like God isn't there, but Habakkuk is remembering the heart of God, is that we have a God who is constantly pursuing us. We have a God who is constantly after us. As Jesus said, it's like he has a hundred sheep and there's one lost sheep, and so he leaves the 99 to go for the lost one. In the, in the story of the prodigal son, we see the son just waste his inheritance and run off to Vegas and spend in a life of debauchery. And then he decides to come back to be a servant of his household. And the father sees him from a distance. And what does he do? He runs after him. We have a God who pursues us. And we need to remember that. 
You know, when we look at our lives, a lot of times we make these choices of like, you know, this is when I chose to become a Christian, or this is when I chose to become serious. But church, when I look back at my life, you know, I, I think that, right? I think like maybe I chose these things, but when I look back on my life, I see God pursuing me. I see God pursuing me by putting me in a family of two parents who love each other, but who love God more. I see God putting me in a youth group and giving me Steve Lucas as my youth pastor, where he made the Bible come alive to me. I see God giving me friends in high school where I wanted to run and be rebellious and be wild and be the the typical pastor's son, and those friends who were anchoring me in God's truth and God's ways. I see God pursuing me when I was struggling with lust and pornography when I was 18 years old, and God giving me a friend at this church and saying, David, let's go to this recovery group. Let's get healing here. Let's do this together. I see God pursuing me when I went to University of North Texas and surrounding me with older guys, seniors in college, who were not about the ways of college, that they treated women with respect and with dignity, who led courageously, and they showed me how to treat a woman when I was in college. I see God pursuing me when I was in seminary and feeling lost and trying to find my way and giving me pastors and mentors who were not about ego and were not about pride, but showed me and taught me how to humbly serve. I see God pursuing me when he called me to lead a small church and I was scared out of my mind. And my be- one of my best friends, Marty, came to me and he said, David, man, you can do this. I'll leave my church, we'll leave my church and we'll join you in it. I see God pursuing me by giving me a wife that does not allow me to settle for mediocrity but pushes me to become the person that God has intended me to be. Church, we have a God who pursues us. We have a God who is after us. We have a God who is for us. And we need to remember that. We need to remember our God who created the heavens and the earth. We need to remember our God who split the Red Sea. We need to remember our God who crumbled the walls of Jericho. We need to remember our God who crushed the giants, who closes the mouths of lions, who brings fire down from earth. We need to remember the God who heals the sick, who lets the lame walk, the blind see, and the deaf hear. We need to remember the the God who was nailed to the cross and who died but rose again, who gives us new life. We need to remember the God who has blessed us, who has protected us from making decisions that would have ruined us, who's healed us from our cancer, from our sickness, who's provided that miracle check that came in the mail when we didn't think we were going to make it, who who brought people into our kids' lives when our kids were about to fall into a pit of shame. We need to remember that God when we're in the tunnel of chaos. We have a God, church, who has a track record of not letting his people down. And it's easy to forget, but we got to remember. We need to remember. And then lastly, as we ask God for a revival, as we ask God for renewal, as we remember, 
we have to do the hard job of waiting. We have to do the hard job of waiting. Look at verse 16. Habakkuk says this, I says, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Circle that word again, quietly wait. And then also what I want to read to you is at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1. And what we see is Habakkuk is... Um, He's, you know, he's having this conversation with God, and, and he doesn't like what God is telling him. But look at verse uh, 1. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. What Habakkuk is comparing himself to is as of a soldier. And he's saying, God, I don't like this chaos that I'm in. And I don't really like how you're deciding to go about this. And I don't like, uh, and I'm weary, and I'm tired, and I'm broken, and I'm ready to give up. Yet he compares himself to a soldier, and he says, but I will stay at my post. See, a soldier, he has orders, right? Soldier's on duty. He's, he's called to stay at, on watch, right? To, to be at his post and watch. And the soldier can't leave at any times, even when he's bored, even when he's not getting anything out of it, right? And what Habakkuk is saying is like, I will not leave my post, even though I'm doubting, even though I'm suffering, even though I'm hurting, I will fulfill my duty. I will wait. I will obey. You see, church, um, a lot of times when the chaos hits, right, we want to run. We want to flee. We want to go where it's easy. And the reason is a lot of times we say, you know what? I'm just not getting anything out of this whole church thing. And so we stop reading our Bibles. We stop praying. We stop going to church. We stop serving because we just say, you know what? I'm not getting anything out of this anymore. But can a soldier say that to his commanding officer? Uh, chief, sorry, man, I left my post because, you know, I just, I just wasn't getting anything out of this, right? It kind of got boring to me, you know? And he can't say that. He's got to stay at his post no matter what. But that's what we do. We, you know, we don't want to wait. We're not getting anything out of it. But let me tell you something. A lot of times we say, I'm not getting anything out of praying, serving, worshiping, but you're certainly not going to get anything out of not doing those things. You're certainly not going to get anything out of not doing those things. And so what we do is we want to leave our post and we want to start doing things to medicate ourselves, to get comfort, right? Whether it's drinking or drugs or lust or just zoning out in front of the TV. And, and let's be honest, those things are good and those things can numb us out. But guys, once we sober up, man, we're still in the same mess and maybe even worse. But I love what Habakkuk says. Even though I'm suffering, even though it's hard, even though I don't understand, I will not leave my post. I will fulfill my duty. I will obey. There's a story um, in Harry Potter. I'm kind of a nerd. I'm sorry. Uh, in Harry Potter, of uh, the Half-Blood Prince. It's my favorite book in the, in the series. There's seven books. And in the Half-Blood Prince, um, 
Harry Potter and his kind of mentor, wizard Dumbledore are on this mission to destroy Voldemort's horcruxes, okay? And I, this is really nerdy, so just bear with me. Horcruxes are these things that Voldemort has like split his like soul into so that he can live forever, right? And so they're like, all right, we have to destroy these in order to defeat Voldemort. And so their first mission is they go to this cave and Dumbledore reminds Harry Potter, he says, now remember the reason why I let you come. Harry's like, what's the reason? Dumbledore's like, I let you come because you vowed to me that you will do anything I ask of you, even if it's hard, even if it hurts. Harry's like, yes. And so they go through these near-death experiences in the cave, and they get to this potion where they find the horcrux, and Dumbledore realizes he has to drink the horcrux, right? He has to drink the potion in order to get it. And he says, Harry, now remember, I might, when I drink this, it might hurt. I might not want to do this, but remember, you have to make me drink this. Do whatever it takes to make me drink this. Fulfill the orders that I've given you. And so he starts to drink the potion. One sip, and two sip, and three sips. And at the fourth sip, Dumbledore staggers. And he starts to say, I don't want this anymore. Please make it stop, make it stop. And Harry, he sees hating his mentor suffer, but he remembers his order. So, so he gives him another drink, and then Dumbledore's like, make it stop, make it stop. And Harry gives him another drink, and, and Dumbledore's like, I want to stop, make it stop, please make it stop. And Harry gives him another drink, and then finally Dumbledore cries out, kill me, take it, stop it. And Harry is like, feels like the worst person in the world because the last thing he wants to do is hurt his mentor. But he gives him one last sip. And then the potion ends, and then they're able to get the horcrux. But isn't that our chaos? The, the suffering comes, the chaos comes, and we feel like we can't handle it. And we want to leave our post. But God calls us to stay. God calls us to fulfill our duty. God calls us to obey. Church, where do we get the power to do that? Where do we get this power to seek renewal? Where do we get this power to remember? Where do we get this power to wait and obey when everything around us isn't changing? Church, it's when you look at Jesus Christ. It's when you see Jesus Christ come to this earth and see him suffer. And he came to people just like us to love us and to serve us and we rejected him. But Jesus didn't leave his post. And then he walked with the disciples for three years, only to find out that a lot of them were just using him to get positions of influence, only to find out that one would betray him and one would deny him. But Jesus didn't leave his post. And then Jesus was put on trial unjustly and unfairly and was criticized and mocked and ridiculed. But Jesus did not leave his post. And then he was nailed on a cross, hung naked for the world to see. And people were mocking him and said, if you're God, if you're so great, why don't you come down from this cross? But Jesus did not leave his post. Paul says that he became, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and he made himself obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why would he do that? 
He did it for us, church. He did it so that we could be pulled out of the pit. He did it so that we could be restored, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be made new, so that we could know God and enjoy God, so that we could worship God, so we could have a purpose with God, so we could be used by God, so we could have the full life, the good life for now and forevermore. That's why Jesus didn't leave his post. That's why Jesus obeyed. And church, when you see Jesus doing that for you, then we can wait on him, can't we? We can obey, even when the chaos isn't changing. Church, that's my prayer for you. Keep seeking God. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep remembering, but stay at your post. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, we love you, God, and we thank you that you are a God who pursues us, <laughs> that you are a God who loves us, so much so, God, that you never left your post, that you obeyed God when it was good, and you obeyed when it was bad, and you obeyed when it was ugly, Lord so that we could be brought into your family. Lord Jesus, God, I pray right now, Lord, if there's anyone here who wants this, Lord, who wants salvation, who wants to be renewed, God, who wants their chains to be taken away, who wants to be pulled out of the pit, who wants to be pulled out of the chaos of choices that we have just done to ourselves over and over again, God, I pray that they would cry out to you. I pray, God, right now in this room, Lord, as simple as ABC, that they would just admit that they've sinned, they admit that they've rebelled, that they admit they have fallen short, but they believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for them and he rose again, and that they would commit their life to you. And if you did that, if you want to do that, would you just circle a big A on your uh, communication card? And we would love, love, love to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ and walk with you through the chaos that you find yourself in. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for waiting on us. Thank you for not leaving your post. God, may you send us out, God, into the chaos, into the darkness, God, into our communities, into our families, God. May we ask and seek renewal. May we remember you, God, and may we serve because you served us. Lord Jesus, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.